Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Schmelk, Detino with you. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. It is all presented by Coors Light. We want to remind you to download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Uh, our last show, or at least this week, until Giants and Falcons. I guess it's Lance and Fiegels on Monday because Paul and I will be in Atlanta. Uh, so we'll give you a little preview of the game today. We'll do it again on Monday, obviously, and we'll take your calls at 201 939 Four five one three. Paul, the Giants injury report about as clean as we've seen it um, in a while. It looks like everyone, uh, according to Coach Shermer, is expected to play this week. The guy that seems to be some question about is Russell Shepard. Uh, he and Olivier Vernon, along with Nate Solder, were limited in practice yesterday. Uh, they were all working today. Red Ellison and Evan Ingram will both practice in full. So the Giants, aside from the guys on IR, obviously, you know, Ray Ray Armstrong got put on IR this week, mm -hmm. uh, they're pretty healthy right now. Well, as healthy as they can be with the 53 that are active. Of course. Uh, obviously, since the start of the season, they've lost some bodies to attrition. But No one's super major, though. No, no. I mean, look, if the Giants are going to dust themselves off and pick themselves up off the ground uh, – you know, this has got to be the week to do it because you're looking at basically half a team with the Falcons, much like earlier this year when the Saints were offensive heavy. The Falcons are offensive heavy. Well, I'm going to throw out there too, Paul. Their injury report is not empty. I mean, they are a mess right now. Correct. They've lost three of their best defensive players to injured reserve. Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, and Deion Jones, three mm -hmm. of their best defenders. And at least as of yesterday, neither Calvin Ridley nor Mohamed Sanu, their second and third wide receivers, have practiced yet coming off of a hip for Sanu and an ankle for Ridley. I did see a report, though, and I can't remember if it was an Atlanta Journal-Constitution one or not. They said they thought that Sanu was probably a go, and Ridley had a good chance as well, even if they were going to be limited. Well, they're very important. Um, oh, because huge! It, if, if they play, double-teaming Julio Jones becomes very difficult. Because Calvin Ridley will destroy man-on-man -man coverage. Absolutely destroy it. Great route runner coming out of school. Absolutely. Great at the top of the route. Creates a ton of separation. It's very difficult to cover him one-on-one. -on -one. So if they're not there, all of a sudden slowing down the Falcons becomes a little bit easier. Even with Devontae Freeman, who got placed on IR this week being out, it'll mm -hmm. be... Tevin Coleman and the little guy, Ito Smith, we talked a lot about in the spring coming out in the draft. They'll be the two featured running backs. Yeah, there's no William Andrews on this edition of the Atlanta Falcons uh, when he used to just grind out the I was going to say, folks. you're going to have to tell fans who William Andrews is. He was a power downhill between the tackles bulldozer of a running back. He wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but he was strong, thick, and powerful. And Atlanta Fulton County Stadium was a marshland. They played on natural turf, natural grass, I should say. Turf is known for the plastic stuff. And, uh, you know, the Braves played there and the Falcons played there, and that field was always a muddy mess by the time they got to November. And Andrews would just grind and grind and grind you. Uh, this goes back to the early 80s. But anyway, aside from that, the point that, that I wanted to make uh, off of John's comment about the receivers, the Falcons are going to throw the ball two-thirds of the time. All right, their balance is way out of whack, much like the Giants' balance is. So you know that Ryan wants to rely on his arm, and he needs those targets to make that work, which is why if they're limited in any capacity whatsoever, it does significantly hamper what they want to do. And, Paul, I imagine when you watch the Falcons this week, and I know when I did, I love the way they play offense in that they set up for power run, 
They bring in two tight ends a lot. They have a fullback <laughs> yeah. in the game a lot. <laughs> do. But then off of that, <laughs> they will they've run they run more play action than any other team I've seen so far this year. Even they, though they don't run it that well. No, but it, but you know what? <laughs> it works though. I know. Because Tevin Coleman's a good back. He can break anything for for a long run and they got a, and they have a pretty solid offensive line especially at the tackle position. So, they can really show big and then run downfield routes off that play action. It, it's a fun offense to watch. It looks like Steve uh, uh, Scarsesian has really figured things out in his second year after I thought he struggled a little bit last year as the Falcons' offensive coordinator with mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan leaving. Uh, they figured out their red zone issues. They're fourth in the league in the red zone, even though Julio Jones doesn't have a touchdown. So this is as dangerous of an offense as the Giants will see this year. It's right up there with the Saints and whoever else you want to talk about. So this Giants defense, and to me, Paul, the one huge key in this game, aside from the injuries for the Giants defense, we'll get to the offense in a second, when Matt Ryan has struggled this year, and we saw it in the first half when I watched the tape against Pittsburgh, was when he got pressured. And the question is, can you figure out a way to pressure while at the same time covering these great wide receivers down the field? If you can figure out a way to do that, you're going to win. Because if you don't pressure Matt Ryan, he is going to pick you apart. Well, I mean, he's your typical pocket passer, uh, a typical dome quarterback. We've always talked about this. Ryan is a much better quarterback at home in that dome than he is on the road. Uh, I will say this, you know, again, you mentioned a few minutes ago, we don't know how effective Sanu's going to be, how effective Ridley's going to be. So now, you know, maybe Matt Ryan, even if he gets time, won't be able to slice the Giants if those receivers are not playing up to their capabilities. You can't count on it, though. You can't. Right. You don't know. Right. But but we know, we here's what we do know. We do know the Falcons don't run the ball well, and we do know that their pass protection's been sporadic. He has been sacked 17 times. Correct. And he's not Aaron Rodgers in terms of nope. a fleet of foot. Well, that's why pressure is such a key in this game. Without a doubt. No question. And a couple numbers I want to throw to you about the offense, Paul, um, that are impressive. Second best third down team in the league, 49%. Oh, yeah. And these are the numbers that were even more impressive to me. They actually aren't good in third and short. So, you know, you don't want to say you want to get teams in the third and long. No, third well, and long, they're deadly. Maybe not the Falcons. No. <laughs> On third down of plays seven or more, they're converting 47% of their third downs. That's nutso. Mm-hmm. That is third best in the, that's best in the league. On third down plays of 10 yards or more, they are third best in the league, completing 30% of their third downs. Those are numbers you no, don't normally see, Paul. And it just shows how effective this passing attack is that they can get those big chunk plays even when teams are expecting it and going after the pass and throw this out there too. With all these pass plays and these third and longs and trying to come back because their defense can't stop anybody, they only have three giveaways in six games. Yeah, Ryan's thrown two picks. They fumbled it once. They protect the football, and the Giants, we've talked about it a lot, they don't take the football away. So going into this game, obviously you're going to try – but I don't think this is a game where the Giants can count on getting a short field for the offense, taking the ball away. It's going to be really, really difficult given how these two teams have played this year. Well, I would say this. To some degree, if you want to consider kicker Matt Bryant part of the offense because he's just been absolutely phenomenal over the last several years, he gets better with age. And he popped a string. He's hurt. Yeah. And so I didn't see. Did they sign a kicker yet? They did, and I don't remember the young man's name. And that's a problem. Okay, because Matt Bryant has just been phenomenal in 50-plus yard right. field goals oh, over the last few years. You love him. Giorgio Tavecchio. 
<laughs> Paisan. <laughs> I'm assuming. Well, actually, Giorgio, I guess, could be could be Greek, right? Maybe. Could be. Yeah. In any event, well, he's Mediterranean. <laughs> Close in, enough, right? In any of yes. <laughs> in any event, uh, Matt Bryant has been ice. I mean, the dude kicks clutch, kicks clutch field goals and hits them from miles away. Yeah, he's been great. Been phenomenal, and he's forty plus. I joke with Beagles about this all the time. Uh, now that's a big deal because that suddenly changes the offensive scope if you can't count on that fifty-five yard field goal that he's going to bang through. So that is actually somewhat of a good news uh, piece of information for the Giants. The other thing is the Falcons have 44 penalties that they've actually been flagged, not flagged for, but been counted against so far this year. They've had others decline. That's tied for eighth most in the league. So they get sloppy. They make mistakes. They don't put the ball on the ground. They don't throw picks. But technically, they make a lot of mistakes. That's why they've got 44 penalties against them, especially on defense. So there are reasons to believe that they can be short-circuited. And certainly there are reasons to believe on the other side of the ball that their defense can be just absolutely sliced to ribbons. Well, let's get there. Um, because if you listen to the first five minutes when we talked about the Falcons' offense, you're going to sit there, how the hell is this team 2-4? and four? Well, here's the problem, folks, and I'll go through the numbers for you. Um, I'll throw the first week out because you never know, first weeks of, these, of, of, of the season, weird things happen. Week two, they give up 24 points to the Panthers. Week three, 43 points to the Saints. Week four, 37 points to the Bengals. Week five, 41 points to the Steelers. Week six, 29 points to the Buccaneers. No team has given up more points than the Atlanta Falcons Do the this math. year. That's 32 points a game, a.k.a. arena football. It's the worst in the <laughs> league. Um, and, I'm, and just to give you an idea, folks, that and this will be coming out in my uh, game preview here, but the Falcons are a mess defensively. Uh, I mentioned the points. Only one other team has forced fewer runs of negative yardage, just four. No teams have given up a higher rate of third downs, 56%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only one team allows more yardage per play on first down, seven yards per play on first down. Only two teams have a worse red zone touchdown rate, 78%. Only two teams have allowed more plays of 10 or more yards, 98 over six weeks, and no one has allowed more touchdown drives, 24, and only two teams have allowed more yards per game at 417. Uh, I talked about the injuries already. Uh, Neil, Allen, and Deion Jones, it's a loss. Um, They do a lot of the stuff in the middle of the field for them that's now gone. You throw in, you have backups there. And their corners, Desmond Trufant's the best of them, but none of the three guys, uh, Robert Poole, Trufant, and Alford, are good cover guys, and they'll try to play man-to-man, too. It nope. hasn't worked out for them. Uh, and look, I'm not going to tell you the Giants going to come out and score 30 points because Paul and I have been burned, him more than me, coming out and I saying have. that heading into these games. But I will say this. There should be opportunities for the Giants to score a lot of points in this game. Whether or not they take advantage of it, Let's wait and see. But if this offense doesn't wake up against the Falcons, I don't know who they're going to wake up against. No, I, uh, that's a very, very strong statement, but I believe it's accurate, John. You know, this is the get-well defense that you want to play if, if you're a struggling offense. Uh, I will also say, you know, they're giving up over five yards of carry, which is in the bottom three or four in, in the NFL, which is another number that just absolutely hammers them to death. And, and here's the other thing, too. And let's make something very clear. You know, the Giants players, as we talked to them this week, and they're not ones for stats. Players never are when you talk to them during a week about an opponent. But I got the sense 
that they have a great deal of respect for Matt Ryan and company. And even, even the Giants' offensive players were like, you know what? Not only do we have to score, but we got to keep it on them. Because Matt Ryan has enough firepower that at any time during this game, he can come back and bite you. And I, I think that's a good attitude to have. You shouldn't go into this game saying there's a Swiss cheese defense there and we're just going to run all over them and we could do whatever we want to them and we're just going to control this game. That would be a terrible attitude to have. That's like whistling past the graveyard and then the ghost comes and strangles you from behind. That's a bad idea. I didn't realize ghosts strangle people. I thought they just kind of scared them. Well, Gob- zombie maybe? maybe? Zombie? Goblins. Okay. Or The Walking Dead, is that? Yeah, The Walking Dead. I've That's heard of good. that. I never watched it, but I've heard of it. <laughs> In any event, my, my point is, I think the Giants' attitude is right to go into this game saying, you know what, it doesn't matter what people say about the Falcons, their record and their stats, they are dangerous. Oh, yeah. And you, you have to go into the game thinking that. You would do well in The Walking Dead, actually. It's all your walking. You know, because the, the dead come after you and your ability to walk at They'd a, never at a catch fast me. rate. Yeah, I, I think it would be in your favor. I did 11 miles yesterday. Not a, once or two no, separate, two two, separate two, One set of five and then a, uh, and then a six after that. That's later on in the evening. So a five and a six. Right. Came out to 11. Let's open up the phones, folks. <laughs> 201-939-4513. Take your calls on the Giants-Falcons. Anything else in New York Giants land that you want to talk about? Schmelkin, Dettino, and you. Let's start off with Dan out in Hawaii. Dan, I wish we were out in Hawaii. It's about 50 degrees out here today. Hello. Oh, well, it's, it's a lot nicer than that here. Yeah. Good morning, Johnny. Hey, Paul. Hello. How you doing? Hey, I got a question. Who's the Giants punter? Riley. Uh, this is the week that uh, basically he should be inactive. The Giants need to score. <laughs> That's a good line. Hey, you it's know, a line. it's a good line, but honest to God, that's a dangerous way to think. It really is. I know, I know but if, if, if the Giants, all, all offseason, I was so excited. Odell, Barkley, the whole, the whole complement of skilled players. This is the week we see it. If the Giants don't score on 75% of their drives, they lose. Well, again, the Falcons are allowing 32 points per game. So this would certainly be the week if the Giants are going to hit 30 again as they did in Carolina. Uh, You'd want to see it on Monday night. I I would also add one other thing, and, and... I can't ignore this because I've talked about it several times on the program during the first two months of the season, and I have to bring it up one more time. I'm I'm just sorry to say, but I have to do it. Special teams has not given this team good field position. All year long, the field has been tilted against the Giants, and, and they've been climbing uphill on a consistent basis. And it's something that so many people overlook when they hammer this offense, John, because when you're constantly having to scale Mount Everest, which is really what happens week in and week out here, it causes a lot of problems. And I want to throw another one, too. Not just special teams. The defense hasn't exactly taken the ball away and given it to the offense yeah. in plus territory Takeaways. either. Right. right. Giants are just not getting those turnovers. And, and that makes life a heck of a lot easier, too. I mean, just ask Philadelphia when they got that interception in, in the Giants' red zone. How about the game? How about the Panthers? Panthers, they get a fumble recovery yeah. in the end zone, too. I mean... Yeah, the Giants are not getting easy points ever, ever. They got to work hard for every point they get. This this week has to be different. 
this week the offense has to dominate. And then they get a couple of a couple of plays on defense. Not a lot. One one sack to stop the drive. Olivier Vernon. Go ahead. That's all they need. They only need a couple big plays on defense. One well, or two. Stop the Falcons two, three drives. I just want to call it something. And the Giants score basically on every drive. I, I wish that's, I wish it were that easy. They, that's how they have to win this game. I, I wish it were that easy. Well, Dan, I'm going to ask you, know, you how, really how, how many points do you think the Giants have to score to win? That's a good question. 35. I think that's fair. That certainly and would I'll, be in the ballpark. If they don't, I, I mean, uh, Falcons' offense is a great offense, and they're going to score. We had to stop them a few times, but we basically have to outscore them this game. Yeah, look, I agree. I, I think if you want to beat Atlanta, you got to try to hit that 30 mark again. And much like we said going into that Saints game, even if you hit the 30 mark, there's no guarantee you do win. But to feel comfortable about it, you better get 31 at least, and 34 or 35 I feel a lot better about. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's going to be a no, you finish Thank up. You it's guys. okay. It's going to be a fun game. Absolutely. Dan. Enjoy. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy it out in Hawaii. All right. And uh, that's All actually right. going to be, an, I guess, an afternoon start for them. Hawaii seven hours, six hours difference? I don't know. I'm not sure what Hawaii is versus California. I think it's another three hours maybe or something like that. See, but, you know, we really have no complaints. He's got his great weather, but we'll be in a dome. So yeah. it's that's okay. That's true. 72. Have you, mapped out <laughs> your, have you mapped out your walking route in Atlanta yet, Papa? I have not. Although Papa told me... Don't bother going to the Ferris wheel. He said it's not that great. Well, we are not downtown. I can't tell you where we're staying, but we're not downtown. Oh, okay. We're well, in a, we're in a suburb. I will have to investigate this. Two zero one nine three nine four five. I wasn't. I wasn't aware there was a Ferris wheel. To be honest with you, let's Bobby go to, says there is. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure somewhere in Atlanta there is in fact a <laughs> Ferris wheel. Let's go to Charlie in Portland. He's up next. <sighs> Chuckles. Hey, that was quick. What's up, buddy? Hey, Charlie. <laughs> hey, Paul. Um. I mean, you know, I'm looking at this game as this is uh, our opportunity to start winning and going ten in a row. I mean, we're going to go on a streak here, and this has got to be the this has got to be the game that we do that. Can you get just uh, one, please, Charlie? How yeah. about that? <laughs> yeah, get one first, Charlie, please. And, and here's the funny thing, Charlie. You mentioned that I really do think. And look, we talked about this tough schedule at the start of the year. So while this start is disappointing, given the schedule, you know. It's you know you you get it, but now you're getting into stuff that's not as tough. So there's no reason this team can't wrap you know rattle off five six wins the rest of the year. There's no reason that can't happen. I'm I'm gonna go one step further, John, and you may look at me with twisted eyes or cross eyes. I wouldn't be shocked if Charlie's right and uh-huh. they win. I'm being more these two games going into the bye right. against. Atlanta and Washington, and then when the two games coming out of the bye with San Francisco and Tampa Bay, well, I think yeah. it would not shock me if the Giants were five and five in the rematch against Philadelphia. I feel, I'll be honest, folks, it would not, yeah. it would not shock. Me. I feel better about the Niner and Bucks games than I do the Falcons and Redskins games. The Redskins games are always tough. You know, those games are always close. But I don't think the Redskins are overpowering. Oh no, they're not overpowering. I just don't. Certainly not. The next four teams, but then again, are, teams haven't had to be overpowering to beat the Giants so well, far this year either. But but the next four <laughs> games are, are against teams that I believe are also in the quicksand of mediocrity. Yep, they can be beaten. Sure. <clears throat> I look. I mean, our our offense has got to wake up. One of these days, it's got to wake up. And I think when it actually does, there's going to be such a momentum. I don't think it's going to go backwards after that. So, 
All I hope is that uh, Shermer, uh, you know, switches up his scheme a little bit and, you know, gives them plays that they actually can execute, not plays that they can't execute, which we know what plays those are because we've seen them. Uh, I mean, other people do bubble screens. Like, who was it that did bubble screens and killed us? I think it was... Charlie, uh, the, Charlie, 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 the Giants ran about a dozen screen plays against the Eagles last week. I know, it, it didn't work. Awful. Yeah, it didn't That's work. That's what I'm saying. Ch- Charlie, Don't here's... Use them. Charlie, no, Charlie, you just asked for bubble screens. Charlie, No, Charlie. no, 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 he I wants... didn't. I said we did... We, I said teams against us did bubble oh, screens. Right, I think it was right. silly, and they had about what? You know, yeah, that's, that's third down. I got you. I'm you sorry, know? Charlie. I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Charlie, I'm here's, here's so what I will tell you. Out. Here's what I will tell you, Charlie, okay? If you look at the Giants' offense in, in a bubble, and I don't like to do that, but I'm going to do it for just a second. And I explained this to Lance yesterday when we were doing the show, and maybe you heard it. Uh, In the Giants' best offensive games of the season, they faced teams that did not have a challenging, intimidating pass rush. Yep. For whatever reason, whether the front four wasn't really great or they didn't blitz a lot or they didn't stunt a lot, if they had a pedestrian pass rush, the Giants in those three games were able to put forth a very respectable offensive showing. What what was this? Carolina, New Orleans, and Houston. Houston was just the first half. But yes, Houston, I would say half a game for Houston. They had a large lead. They kind of pulled in the chains a little bit, uh, I thought. Well, Eli also got battered in the second half of that game. To some degree by yeah. J.J. Mm-hmm. But but the point being, those were their three best offensive performances of the year. And outside of J.J. Watt, there was no one else on Houston that scared no. them in terms of a pass rush. Now, no. the problem, if you look at it, the teams that you went into the game saying, uh-oh, these guys could make you shake in your boots. Jacksonville's pass rush. The Dallas pass rush because of Marinelli and his stunts and all the different schematics he does. And Demarcus Lawrence. And Demarcus Lawrence. And and Philadelphia, which we all know, has a very intimidating front. So it's no coincidence that in those three games, the Giants' offense was ultra-conservative. They continued to just take what the other team gave them, and they turned out spinning their wheels. Charlie, this Atlanta team does not have an intimidating or a ferocious pass rush. Now, I will say this, though, Paul. You better put up more than the 18 points you put up against New Orleans because you're counting that as one of the best offensive games. You better score more than 18 points. I think I think they, better. they moved the ball pretty effectively against New Orleans, and I think they got jobbed on some certain things that went badly against them. But my point to you is this. This is a team that should not intimidate you walking into their building. Oh, no, of course not. <clears throat> anyway, go oh, ahead, Charlie. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think the Giants should be confident, and they should open it up and be aggressive and take what they want from the Falcons. Right, and and mass protect if they have to on third down. You know, you give, you get, well, Paul Swartz was just, when I was listening to you guys the other day, Paul Swartz was right on. He said the exact same thing that I talked to you about, John, is mass protect. Bring in a jumbo lineman, Charlie, bring in a fullback, and give you. Eli three seconds to get the ball. Charlie, Odell, I've, I've watched. Charlie, I've watched the tape. They've tried to max protect. It hasn't worked. They, well, Charlie, they had, they had, they didn't have the right people on the field. Charlie, they should they not have, have to mass protect. There. They should not have to max no, protect Charlie, against the Falcons. That's Charlie, number one. Well, last, Charlie, last should, week, Charlie, not. Charlie. Last week, they mass-protected on a play. Michael Bennett blew by Nate Solder and had a sack in about a second and a half. That's not about personnel. That's about Nate Solder taking care of his guy. 
And there was yeah. another play where they no, had I, I, three I players play. get beat by one. On a play-action pass, and Odell Beckham would have had an 80-yard touchdown it catch. It was really bad. It was really bad. And three players got onto the backfield. It was a play-action pass. They had two tight ends in. They max-protected with eight guys and only sent two receivers into a route. Both outside receivers <clears throat> ran double moves. Odell Beckham Jr. was wide open. Eli faked the handoff, turned around, and had to run for his life because three Eagles— <laughs> Charlie, they were rushing four guys against seven, <laughs> and these three guys got in. You you might think that's not possible. Charlie, watch the tape. It happened. I Charlie, swear to God. Is, Charlie, it's uh, just what you said. They had tight ends in there yeah, so, instead of a jumbo lineman. That so, makes a big difference. Three guys, Charlie. Right. One guy's not changing. Three guys. Here, here's the thing, Charlie. Some of it's philosophy, and again, I I come from the Tony Soprano philosophy, and that is take what I want. And, and, and that's what they need to do that. Okay, they and need to do them. that. Absolutely, they need to do that. But here's the other thing. How about telling each one of those guys up front, when you have a responsibility, beat your man. Uh-huh. Just go beat your man. And if it means i got to slam your fingers in the door before kickoff to get you ticked off, maybe that's what I need to do. Because we want you to go out there and beat your man. Exactly. Hey, I want to make one prediction. Sure. Eric Flowers has three uh, holding penalties with Jacksonville this week. Well, you're assuming he's going to start. They said he was going to try. Oh, really? To, they're, they're trying yeah. to get him ready to start. They put him in a right tackle, left I'm tackle. assuming? Is Cam Robinson left hurt? Tackle. He's supposed to be the fourth starting left tackle of their season. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, boy. Good luck, Jaguars. <laughs> Wait, hey, Charlie, you know, I'm glad you called and brought that up, though, because you are the poster child for calling up every single left tackle in creation to bring them into the building, right? You, you're that guy, self-proclaimed. Come on, no, I'm giving you credit, veterans, right? Veterans. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. If the tackle pool is as good as you think it is, and yeah. there's some diamond in the rough out there, you make a good point. then why did the Jacksonville Jaguars immediately call Eric Flowers and sign him after you've already proclaimed him to be the worst left tackle in God's creation? <laughs> well, so what does that say about the pool? Coughlin and uh, what's the, name? the uh, O-line coach, is, uh, they, they're, they're gluttons for punishment. I guess they, <laughs> they, they have a blind spot. I don't know what it is. Uh, but he's got pictures of them or something. Thank and you. he's blackmailing them. I don't know. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> okay, guys, have a good weekend. Oh, that's Bye. an excellent point. It's a good point. I mean, it's hard to argue. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Uh, well, you mentioned it, so I want to get into it real quick before we get to the next call. Coach Marvin, you're up next. Uh, the Falcons pass rush, just to give fans an idea of what they're throwing at the Giants here. Uh, the guy rushing, the guy that rushes off of right defensive end, so over Nate Solder will be Vic Beasley. Uh, Underachiever. Eighth, eighth overall pick back in 2015 or 16. I want to say four years ago. 15, then. It was 15, 2015. It definitely, it, was it definitely wasn't 14. 2015, um, eighth overall pick, and boy, he has not lived up to where they thought not he was going to be. Uh, he's one of these guys that's a little light in the butt. He's one only, sack, six tackles this year, right? Yeah, he's only about 245 pounds, and he he, oh, he, he is one move, speed rush around the edge. He has mm-hmm. nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy you should, the two guys you should worry a little bit about um, is Takaris McKinley, who will line up over Chad Wheeler. He has five quarterback sacks this year. Um, they will run him on some stunts and some twists. He has a good little power bull rush move, and he can get around the edge. He's he's a he, he's an ascending he's a player. solid player. He's solid, but he's solid only in his player. second year too. Right, and he was a first round pick, so he's getting better. And then the guy who's 
probably coming back this week is Grady Jarrett. Now, he's the guy I got to worry about. He's a good player. He's not quite the Fletcher Cox level defensive no. tackle, but nobody he's up, is. No, right. But <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not putting him on the Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, Jeremy Lecay level. He's, he's a really good player. I'm putting him on the tier right below that, but there's, he's still really, really good. I agree. Um, he can stop the run. He has good power in there, and they're going to try to get him on Patrick Omame. I'm sure and Omame is going to have to take care of business. So if you worry about protecting Eli Manning in this game, and like Paul said, this is not a fearsome pass rush. You should be able to give Eli enough time to succeed in this game. Look at the right side of that offensive line where McKinley's coming from and where Jarrett's coming from because those two guys are good players. We'll see if the Giants can protect against them. Can I offer you an option? Sure. What do you got? When the Giants signed uh, Perry off uh, the Cardinals practice squad, they said that he was known as a really good blocking fullback. Mm-hmm. Um, we've hardly seen him. No. And I don't know if it's because he hasn't picked up the playbook or because they just didn't have anything in the scheme that they felt fit his, his talents. But you know what? I would not have a problem with throwing him in there a little bit and just seeing if he can help pass pro because we've seen the Giants' tight ends have a lot of trouble this year. Guy's not named Red Ellison. Okay, yeah. But as a whole, correct. the Giants' tight ends as a whole have not really blocked very well. And Barkley's had a couple misses too along the way. Yeah, well, you know why? He tries to cut guys. He does try to. You cannot be. He's always in, he's in the right spot. Oh, but yeah. But he'll just not block. Because not there, block there guys. are defenders who will step over you. Correct. <laughs> and he's learning that, I think, now. Maybe in college they didn't do that. Well, I think the, the guys in the NFL probably watch tape a little bit more. And when you're anticipating the cut, it's a lot easier to avoid yeah. it. So my point is, you know what? The one thing the Giants haven't tried in, in m- many of their pass protection schemes this point to this point, and of course several have not worked out well, is Perry. Well, I wouldn't mind giving him a try. You just don't want a replay of what Shane Smith did against no. Houston? No, against that Dallas. Dallas, I'm sorry, Dallas. But I mean, you know, Perry came with a rep to do it. So yep. you know what? If if he's if he can help out a little bit on third down and maybe provide that blocker, that chip, and pick up so and so. Maybe. Well, until we see him try, I don't know if he can do it. 201-939-4513. Coach Marvin is up next. What's up, Coach? How you doing, John and Paul? Hi. What's up, buddy? That's good. Hey, um, well, this is, I'm, I'm hoping that they play well. I hate to see the offense don't put up points against this defense, and uh, they don't. They better. Uh, I can imagine what the call is going to be like next week. <laughs> um but uh, one thing Atlanta does have, they have a outstanding offense and the capability of scoring from any point on the field. But this season, I don't know if you guys have the stats, but I'm sure you can get them. They haven't done well in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if we can get them to drive, and if they do, if they are going to make a drive, make them go the long route. To where they got to get into that red Ooh, zone. Oh, Mark, Coach Marvin. Well, they they Coach get Marvin, points. They, no, they, they no. get points. They don't get all the touchdowns. Uh, they get points, though. They're fourth in touchdown percentage in the red zone this year. That's right. And Julio Jones, I believe, only have. I think he got no. No, none. Touchdowns. He's got none. No but, no, but Coach Marvin. He has none. Coach Marvin, that was a problem from last year. Since that first week of the regular season against the Eagles, the Falcons have improved mightily in terms of red zone scoring touchdown wise. They're a lot okay. better now. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to address is when uh, people talking about the offensive line, you and, and and a lot of teams are talking about offensive line play, and that's because, as I said last year, there's, there's not in the college games there's not a lot of offensive linemen being taught 
the way they're playing in the NFL, and that's the problem mm-hmm. that a lot of teams are having, finding guys to play it. And because the numbers are, are very small in where you can find schools that are playing with the offensive linemen's hands in the ground. And, and that, that's the problem. I think that's the part Charlie's not getting, why it's so hard and difficult for teams to find these guys, because they're not really being taught. And you know why, Coach Marvin, we've discussed this before, too, because the NCAA coaches are in the business of winning games, getting booster money, getting sponsorship money. Uh, They're not in the business of technically producing pro prospects. That's not their job. It's their job to win games, and they'll do whatever they need to do to win a game. They're not there necessarily to help some guy have an NFL career. I agree with that. They put that out. That that's what they're in the winning games, and that's the, and that's the sad part is that they, I mean their establishment to where they're supposed to be teaching these guys to be young men and be successful as they leave the school. So I understand what they're saying. I just don't agree with it. It's like when I coach, I'm coaching them not just to play football, but I'm coaching them to be good people off the field and on the field. And I think people are missing that when they're teaching the game. That's why I said earlier this week, my motto is winning is not everything. Wanting to is. And and when you want to win at all costs, you'll do whatever it takes to, to win those games and at the cost of the players. And, and I think that's the part that's been missed throughout the uh, NCAA and, um, and probably in the NFL at a certain point. Interesting uh, that we have this discussion, Marvin, and I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. I know John wants to get to the red zone number in just a second, but that's one of the reasons why you will see a lot of teams specifically uh, favor certain conferences and certain programs when they right. go into the draft because they're yeah. like, okay, wait a minute. Those guys play a pro style, or those guys have a former NFL coach coaching those defensive backs. Notre Dame, for example, offensive line coach. Yes, yes exactly. West and Boston, that, it's a big West deal. Boston and Iowa. Yep, no question. And Alabama. And and so, Alabama. you know, there's a reason why teams will do that, because it's like, Thank you, coach. okay, they got a better chance of helping us out in the pros because of the program they came from. Appreciate the uh, call, Coach. I, uh, well, one more, one more thing. Yeah. The, the, so everybody knows there's two names that caused the Giants' problems on the offensive line. I don't know if anybody realized those names. And those two names are is Sheriff and Tonsil. Think back at those drafts. Sheriff went to Washington just before the Giants picked. They were caused to pick Flowers because management wanted them to address that offensive well, line. Well, but by the way, just, just just for the record, it wasn't right before the Giants picked. It was like right. seven picks before the right. Giants it, picked. Yeah. He went really yeah. high. Right. <laughs> I right. wanted him too, Marvin, but saying, he went way too high for the Giants. I'm just saying that, that when they – it wasn't an offensive lineman. I don't believe another offensive lineman was picked before Flowers. That's why I said it was just before the Flowers pick. This, this Sheriff. And Tonsil was a domino effect. Where, where we wanted an offensive lineman, but that year we wanted a clean player coming out of the draft, which that clean player became Apple. Um, but that constant video hurt the Giants as far as who they wanted to draft at the offensive line. You know what, though? Coach, T- Tunsil, and look, I was on board for him originally, too, but then I understood that the, you know, the, the, the baggage was an issue, and, and you can't right. argue with that. But you know what? He hasn't been a great tackle for the Dolphins. They had to move him to guard. 
And and only but, now is he playing pretty good as a guard. Well, I, I, they actually put him back at tackle this year. He's, is he's, back, he's, is he's, he back again? He's their starting left tackle this year. All right, so he's back again. Right. But, he, you know, but, he, but he's not a top tackle, though, by no, any means. No, no. He's not the one I was looking at. Thompson was the one that was supposed to get a first, the first tackle to come off the board. That Correct. Year. Yes. Yeah, Tunsil. That's that's what I'm talking about. What I'm saying, a domino effect happened with all the other tackles. Once Tunsil video came out, he tumbled. Everybody else moved up, which meant the Giants closed out because of where they were sticking. Yeah, I hear you. Right, I coach. hear you, Marvin. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure anybody jumped up that the Giants. I'm not sure. You know, there, all, all I will say to him is, and John, you you know this, Sheriff, uh, Zach Martin, uh, Conklin. These these were all Conklin. These, Conklin was the killer. That was the, oh, pick, the Titans traded up oh, ahead of the Giants to get him. That was the one that really broke my heart when when they lost Conklin. Uh, but these these are all guys. These were all guys that I was screaming for. I mean, you know, Coach Marvin, I, you know how I feel about the trenches. And, you know, there were plenty of really good guys in the last five or six years. Ronnie that, that, Stanley, too. He was another, you know, oh, McGlinchey was, was another guy. Although, again. He was about 10 picks ahead of we, the Giants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we also knew we also knew he was never going to come around in the second round. Thank yeah. goodness Will Hernandez wound like up being 20, there. actually, yeah. You know, yeah, thank goodness for that. McGlinchey went ninth, right? Yeah. And the Giants, and obviously the Giants pick you know. second, and then they pick again till you know thirty four. But 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 you know, here's the bottom line: uh, if you look at the course of the last six or seven drafts, um, each one of those drafts produced how many blue chip linemen? Two? Yeah, not a lot. I mean, no. Per I mean, year, maybe like two. Taylor Decker has honestly been a bit of a disappointment. I think for Detroit. I agree right? with that. I agree with that. So I mean, again. The Darth of offensive linemen coming out of college has really hurt the pro game. There's no question. And again, you can find guards, but tackles, it's it's hard. Especially tackles. Tackles sure. is hard. Centers, too. 201-939-4513. Back to the phones. Let's go to Jose in Orlando. Jose, what's up? Hey, fellas. How you guys doing today? What's Hi. up, buddy? Paulie and John, you guys are great. Thank you. Uh, so, you know what? A couple of things that you guys were mentioning about, you know, um, Atlanta's uh, defensive line and and Greg Beasley not being as good and I agree with you on that. Um, but I also, as just as a word of caution, I mean, Vic Beasley's he's lining up against Wheeler, isn't he? Because no, he's so lining no. up on the left side. No, no, Vic Other Beasley side. will line up on the right side of the defensive line against Solder. Mm-hmm. McKinley will primarily be on the left side of the defensive line against Wheeler. So that's even okay. Because I'll tell you what, I know Vic Beasley, but I, uh, Tack McKinley, I think he can. Uh, he has a better upside to me as far as Beasley's going yeah. up against Wheeler. I agree. The, the main, the main thing that I'm, I'm more concerned about is, you know, they got to get the ball out and stuff like that. Is just making dumb mistakes. We got to make sure we don't make any mistakes as far as holding penalties when we're starting to drive second and twenty, you know, or third and long. We got to get out of that down and distance and make sure we. We, we do that well with that. Yeah, um, and you know, know you Jose, guys... you're absolutely right. I, I just want to jump in for a second. Big negative yeah. plays in this game is the one thing that can stop the Giants' offense from scoring, whether it's obviously turnovers, which is the ultimate negative play, or offensive right. holding penalties, or, you know, runs for minus four or five yards, sacks. 
That's how the Giants struggle this game offensively. If they do, it's going to be from self-inflicted type of mistakes. And you're right. They have to avoid them at all costs. And I'll, I'll just piggyback off of that and say there's one thing. If it really happens often, the Giants are going to be golden. First down, you mentioned it, John. The Falcons are terrible first down defense. Mm-hmm. Terrible first down mm-hmm. defense. The Giants have been terrible first down offense okay mm-hmm. if the Giants can turn that around to their advantage and they can make plays on first down be aggressive on first down go for some blood on first down get the ball downfield make big plays on first down you don't want to grind it out this game Poly dots I want to be able to use the pass to open up the run I'm wow. going the reverse philosophy so, so you're going with my philosophy against the Saints well, I don't want to just wing it all day, but I do want <laughs> well, to. I, I do want to open it up with the pass first on first down because that's where the Falcons are really weak. And if you want to kind of half, half and half this thing and say we're going to take what the defense is going to give us, they'll give you first down. So take that and then say, okay, now that we got that from you, now we're going to take what we want on the rest of the series. So I'm kind of going oh, half know. and half. <laughs> I hear you with that, Paulie, but I'll tell you what. In order for us to get downfield 20, 30 yards, you got to give them time. And, and hopefully we'll give them time. We'll see what happens. I think, I think the matchup between Tack McKinley and Wheeler is going to be, okay, you win this one play, now I'm going to win this one play. And the key to it is well, not we, we, can't, we, just, we just can't hold them. We can't hold them. We can't make any mental mistakes. Um, I heard, and I'm getting ready to go. I heard Coach was talking about offensive linemen, and you guys are right. It's not easy to find offensive linemen coming out of college, especially now. A lot of colleges, uh, like you said, John, about you know, it depends on the office they run. A lot of the colleges now they're running that spread, mm-hmm. and a lot of the tackles and offensive linemen aren't built to run block as much, or they do RPOs, which is completely different. It's yeah. not like You're having right. a fullback down there and grinding out. But they are a couple of tackles coming out of college next year. There are. Uh, keep in mind, there's a guy from Wisconsin, David Edwards. Wisconsin's an offensive lineman college, kind of like Penn State was linebacker sure. you back in the like day. Like Iowa. Yeah, in Iowa. But watch this kid, David Edwards from uh, from Wisconsin. He's about six seven, three fifteen. Decent offensive lineman, blocks well, stays in his pad level, which is you know how they coach him up. The offensive line coach at Wisconsin is awesome. He's been there for yeah, years. He is. And, and then, you know, you got a couple of guys coming out from Ole Miss and Alabama that are pretty decent. Um, and then there's another guy, Trey Adams, coming out of Washington. He's good. The only thing about Trey Adams that scares me coming out of Washington is that that's a spread school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they really don't run the ball that much. So any anytime there's an offensive tackle coming out of a spread school, I get kind of nervous. I hear you. But um, that's, that's all I want to say, guys. I, you know what? This is it. I mean, I know I said that last week, but this is truly it. We can't turn it around this week. We can't turn around this week against this, against this defense. Then I don't know what's going to happen. I just got to throw my – you got to throw your hands up in the air and be like, my home, and that's it, you know? Thank you, Jose. All right, guys. Have a great week, man. Enjoy yourself. Be safe out there in Atlanta. You too, buddy. Take it easy. And, look, this is a big offensive line, defensive line draft from what – I've seen so far, based on what a lot of the quote-unquote experts are saying, um, I know I know a couple of the top defensive linemen names, the Ed Olivers and Nick Bosa's. Um, I have not done a lot of work on the offensive linemen coming out, but there are supposed to be a, a few offensive tackles um, that could be top 10, top 15 picks in this draft. So something to keep an eye on. Well, look at some of the programs. I'm looking at CBS Sports right now and their list of the uh, overall prospects 
And they have one, two, three, four, five, six offensive tackles in their top 50 prospects for the draft. And you're talking about schools like Alabama, Ole Miss, Wisconsin, Clemson, even Bobby Evans from Oklahoma is listed as the 56th best prospect in the draft. Those are some schools that, uh, you know, they produce some big-time wow. players. They don't have anyone in the top 10 anymore, huh? I guess things have changed since the start of the year. when they had Jonah a couple, Williams yeah. from Alabama is the top guy at 16. Only 301. That's not not the heaviest in the world, but... At 6'5", he's got some room to add some weight. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but at the start of the year, and again, I'm just you, you're going off preseason list. This is, so. Well, I don't know when CBS put this list out. I, they, there's no date on it. So I'm, I don't know where it is. I, I'm sure they updated throughout, but I think before the season, I saw two top 15 offensive linemen. Now it looks just like one. So, again, things change throughout the year. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Hugo next in New Jersey. Hugo. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, good afternoon and great job, as always. Thank um, you. Geez, I, I guess it's never too early to start talking crap, but I'd rather no. you know, have the leaves fall off the tree. Before uh, before we have that, start having those conversations. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> hey, uh, you know it's interesting that Paul mentioned the fullback early and um, or earlier in the conversation, and you know the Giants are only carrying two running backs on the 53 man roster. The question I have for you is: this guy a versatile? fullback who can also run the board? Is he just a traditional blocker? Because, you know, obviously we love Barkley and uh, and Gallman's a great backup, I think. But we, if one of those guys gets nicked up, I mean, the whole running back load goes to the other guy. There's, uh, you know, it's sort of an odd construct. I can't remember the last time the Giants only carried two running backs uh, on the 53-man. No, you're right. We were told when they when they grabbed him that he was a blocker and when he had good hands because yes. Pat Shermer mm-hmm. makes a very strong point that all of his fullbacks have to be able to catch the ball. Now, outside of that, I don't know anything else about him other than we've seen him out at practice. Yeah. He's done some things, but I've never seen him really featured in practice. Yeah. I, I just hope that just carrying two running backs is not a, a signal of a philosophical bent uh, or a lack of, of commitment to the running game. That's that's my only uh, the, my only fear because I I think we got to get this run game going. Elijah Penny, a lot by the Elijah Elijah Penny by the way last year thirty one rushes one hundred and twenty four yards. So we can't carry oh, the football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Hey, uh, other question I have for you, and I think you guys uh, you know nailed it. I mean, this is a, a winnable game. I think when we first looked at the. Uh, Schedule for the year, we said this is going to be a tough one, but uh, you know Atlanta is clearly undermanned due to injuries. Yep. Uh, it would be a real disappointment, I think, if they don't win. But uh, you know, we, I think the, I think analytical similarities are, if we're going to pick another team, would be the the New Orleans Saints, right? So sure. NFC South team to move the ball on offense and at least going into the game we played with New Orleans. New Orleans had a weak defense. Now, I would expect that uh, Atlanta's approach to the game would be to play the same type of defense that uh, that New Orleans played. You know, uh, soft shell, double down, and so. And we've had, you know, we've had, we've been facing that type of defense for a long time. So I guess the question for you guys is, how do we counter 
on offense, so we don't get the same results we had in the New Orleans game and only score. Well, well, you know, here's the thing, Hugo. I'm not sure the Falcons are going to show that. Uh, they've played man-to-man defense an actually fair amount this year, and they did it against the Bucks. They did it against the Steelers, two teams that have good receiving core. So um, I think it would be a great thing for the Giants' offense if the Falcons came out in man. You saw how the Giants' offense operated mm-hmm. when the Texans tried to play them in man-to-man right. this year. So I think that would be really helpful. Um, they're generally a single high-safety team. They will occasionally mm-hmm. play too deep man-under, which you saw more against Tampa when they played them, where the two safeties play deep and everyone plays man and you got help over the top. Um, I would think... We're not going to see that as much in this game because they don't want Saquon Barkley to run down their throat. So my guess is you're going to see primarily cover three with single high safety back, and they'll bring the other safety up to help out in the box against the running game. That's what I think the Giants will see. Um, I just don't think you're going to see a lot of that too high stuff because their tackling and run defense has been so poor. I don't think they trust themselves to stop Barkley with only six or seven guys in the box. Yeah, it's not, not really what's in their DNA. It's not what they do. Yeah, they're a single high team. And I think they, they'll play into the Giants' hands in that regard. By the way, um, I, I, I should tell you that uh, Elijah Penny last year uh, ran for over 1,100 yards with 10 touchdowns and a 4.7 per carry average. What? Not last year, but his last year in college. In college. Okay, I was going to say. When he was a senior. <laughs> when he was a senior. Right. Yeah, at Idaho. Uh, so yeah. so he obviously proved he could run the ball in the Sun Belt Conference. Now, that's not the NFL but but I, I did want to at least give you those numbers. Hey, you know that's that's uh, that's pretty impressive. I mean, we may have something in this guy. Well, I don't I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, remember now, it's hey, a Sun Belt, folks. Yeah, and and really, if you want to put him on the field as a halfback, that means you're taking Barkley or Goldman yeah. oh, off. No, 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 that's I not a good idea. That, but, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, maybe do some swing, you know, line up in an eye and do some swing passes to him as well. Thank you, Hugo. We'll see. Okay. Thank good you. Good stuff. Okay. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Did we lose our last caller? Well, we have a couple open lines, folks. If you want to give us a call, we got 10 minutes. I could probably squeeze two, three if we're quick. Calls in before we get to 2.30. So it's 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat. Uh, on Twitter if you want to get in that way you can and you know the Falcons I thought were interesting Paul uh, do you have a tweet for us yeah actually uh, um, there, there are a couple here um, guy asking about uh, Pat Shermer's offense saying he believes that it works uh, when it's called and that the offensive line and Manning's lack of mobility are really the reasons the receivers can't run the routes and it kind of uh, doesn't fit in with Shermer's offense Um I, I kind of disagree with that because we've seen Pat Shermer's offense in Minnesota and he took a lot more shots downfield, John. He also balanced out uh, a much more favorable running attack with, by the way, Cook injured after first month of the season. Kirk was out. And so without him, they continued to run the ball over 40% of the time. So in my opinion, I don't know that we've really seen the offense that Pat Shermer had advertised when he came to the Giants because they're not running the ball at all and they're also not taking any shots downfield. Now, that's because they're playing the percentages and they're taking what the defense will give them. But I think that's because that that the philosophy has been altered by what they've seen and and also what, what 
what the Giants have put on the field and on tape. Um, so I disagree. I don't think that it, it, Shermer's offense is, has been here and they haven't executed it. I don't think he's really running the offense that he wants to run. I don't think so. Maybe, now, I could be wrong, and I've never asked him that directly. But if you watch the plays they're running this year, they're not resembling much of what Minnesota ran last year at all. They're just not. That was a much more attacking team. Now the one I mean, thing he, I think some of the route combinations are similar and that sort of thing, but I'm just not sure that he has the confidence in this group to protect as much fair. as he needs to. Right. That's fair. But but here's the thing that I will say: we have certainly seen more double tight ends out of the Giants this year, and that was a Shermer thing. Mm-hmm. And we have also seen, on occasion, some rolling pocket. Yes. And and, and that was a Shermer thing. So those are the two characteristics that I can identify in terms of Thurmer's, uh, Shermer's thumbprint on this offense. But other than that... And more play action than last year. A little sure. bit. I think there's well, definitely more play Well, that's because McAdoo action. was like allergic to it. I'm just, to be fair. I'm just telling you what's different. <laughs> a little, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But not a ton. No, but it's certainly more than what we saw here the last I mean, three or four years. Here, here's what I'm going to say. You guys know this, and I preached it for a long time. You've got to wait four games into the season to find out what your team is. Okay. I'm not going to get get away from that. That's a that's a good philosophy. Bill Polian stated it, and I believe it. But here's the problem: I honestly don't think, for various reasons, we have truly seen what Shermer wanted to bring to the table offensively, and I don't think we truly have seen what Betcher wanted to bring to the table defensively. And that on that side of the coin, Olivier Vernon was going to be a huge component of that playbook. And when he missed the first five games of the season, that really inhibited what Betcher wanted to do. Yeah, see, I don't know if I believe that. Because why would Vernon's presence affect how much you want to blitz? Oh, that's 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 an easy one, No, John. but that's the secondary. You're worried no. about the secondary when you're thinking about blitz. You're not worried about who's on your defensive no, line. No, because, because unlike many blitz packages which are designed to get a man free, he, they want to outnumber you and get the man free and think that the man's going to get home, Betcher's blitz packages are totally designed in a different way. His blitz packages are designed to isolate a one-on-one matchup that Mm -hmm. he knows he can win. Well, the bad news is he doesn't have another guy in that front seven who he has a strong belief in, and this is an assumption, that has strong belief in that he's going to win most of those times. Vernon was that guy. He was that Chandler Jones, that he was going to build everything around Vernon to know that he's going to do everything he can to get people away from him so that he's going to be one-upped. And that Vernon will win those one-on-ones. And he did against Philly. He right, played a really good game. But it comes down to then your guy still winning his matchup. Well, sure. But but I don't think the Giants, if you look at their front seven, there are not a lot of guys. I mean, Snacks Harrison can do it, but it's against the run. How many guys in the Giants' front seven, and I'm not trying to insult anybody, but how many of them give you great confidence that at any time during the game you can get a one-on-one matchup for them and they're going to win it? Besides Olivier Vernon, no, that's absolutely true. Well, but again, then done I don't, deal. But I don't. Think, that's why. But I don't think that's a scheme issue. I mean, sure I, it I, is. Vernon got to the passer quite enough last week with no blitzes being called. That's the with po- a four man rush. But, but that's because. But that's not scheme. That's him beating a guy with a four man rush. Yeah, but you then will play your scheme off of the man's ability to win the one on one. You will not scheme things if you don't believe you have a guy who can win a one on one. 
That's the deal. I talked to Betcher about this. I know what he's thinking. It's, it's Paul, I, I, I talked to him. You don't have to tell me. Okay. I know what he's doing. It's all right. But, but Paul, it's fine. if he gets there with four guys rushing, how is that scheme? That's my question. Because what is what they try, what they want to do, what they want to do, whether it's a five on four, a six on four, a four on four, they can illustrate when they when they send the four men up on up on the line scrimmage. If Vernon's on the edge, okay, and they've got a five on four matchup, if they believe that Snacks is going to draw the double team, then that means everybody else on that line is one on one. Who's going to win the matchup? Vernon's got the best chance to win the matchup. Yeah, but right? that's no different if Vernon's at right end or if Cream Martin's at right end. They're still going to double team Snacks. Here's the problem. At least they know that Vernon has a chance to win that, which means the other team also knows it, and now they have to account for it. Right, so it's about the personnel and Vernon. It's not well, about sure, this. A, well, exactly. That's my, that's oh, my only yes, point. But here's the thing. <laughs> if you're, if, no, but if you're a betcher and you're lining up a four guy. Well, Stay in front of your mic. <laughs> if you're lining up four guys against five. Right. And they're double teaming snacks. Right. And they know Kareem Martin is not going not gonna to, to win that one-on-one matchup. Guess what? Your betcher, you now have to do something else schematically because you can't scare them and intimidate them with the guys that you have in your front line. That's so you why think it's he, a scheme. So you think he blitzed more when Vernon no, was there? No, no. I think what he did was actually blitz less. And I know he did because he was 10% less than when he was in Arizona. He actually was less, believe it or not. But then you're going to scare the offense even less. Well, and again, the reason he had to go less was because they didn't show the ability in the back seven to hold up. Right, Well, and that was my point to start. Well, there's no question personnel right. has has an impact on this. Okay. But, I, but honestly, not I, I, having I, Vernon was a big deal. Well, of co- no, Paul, of course it's a huge deal. If you don't have a guy that can win in one-on-one pass rush, that changes your whole defensive effectiveness. And, and he is the one guy. Who right, they can go into a game into feeling confident that he's going to win a bunch of those. I think we're actually on the same page. Right? We I th- probably are. We're just I saying think, it differently. I think we're just verbalizing it differently. Let's go to Chris and Alamucci. He'll wrap us up. Chris, what's up, pal? Oh, thanks for fitting me in, uh, John and Paul. Appreciate yeah, no worries. It. Hey, uh, Paul, you, you jogged my memory uh, when you mentioned William Andrews before. I immediately thought of also Gerald Riggs, who was a pretty good running back. Yeah, sure back was. In the, day in the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah, Riggs. Rig, yeah. Well, with the Redskins, too. Oh, that's right. Yes, later on. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great breakdown with the single high safety with uh, Ellison and um, Ingram coming back. Hopefully they, the Giants do score some points. But my question to you guys is, unfortunately, if things don't go our way Monday night leading up to the Redskins game and then the bye, and let's say we do drop the next couple games and we do go to 1-7, one and, uh, and seven, at what point do the Giants start thinking about managing the touches for Barkley and not overusing him in a season. Now, you obviously want to use him, but not overusing him in a season that, that's unfortunately maybe going by the wayside. I don't I don't think, you know, you get to the point where you're like, oh, we want to make sure he's fresh next year. We're only going to give it to him 18 <laughs> times instead of 24. Uh, yeah, right. I don't, I, I don't think that's the case. I think for the most part, you know, he's been in that good, you know, between 20 and 25 touches a game type of category. You know, nine. Yeah, and that's really what my question is. Keeping him still in that range of 20, 25 and, and not, uh, not trying not to go over to that 30, 30 mark. Well, I don't think they, we haven't really seen him do that yet, and I don't think they right. intend to do that. There might be a couple games where they get into the 28, 29 area mm-hmm. if, if, if the flow of the game tends to dictate, and that's fine. But. Um, I think they believe he's most effective and he's the best running back he can be when he's in that 20 to 25 range. Yeah, I would only right. add one other thing here. Uh, 
the Giants are in a position where if they're going to look towards what happens the next couple of years, well, every snap Barkley gets is an education. And so I don't think that they will cut him back unless he's hurting. If he's not hurting and he's fully healthy, they'll give him the regular workload because it will only help him in 2019. Yeah, and, and Paul, I agree with you there. But my, my feeling is the way he makes his own own lanes, his own yards, I, I just uh, I, I don't want him taking those hits, uh, you know, considering that he, he makes a lot of the yardage on his own. That, that was my concern. Well, I, I understand that, but it is football. And the hits yeah. are going to come one way or another. And the more that he sees, and John and I talked before about how he likes to cut pass rushers. And in the NFL, more often than not, that's not going to work because they'll figure it out in a hurry, and there's athletes in this league who will jump over you, okay? They will hurdle you, and they've already done it a couple of times to him. You know, Barkley Barkley needs to learn every single piece of information about this league that he can. So, you know, I think you've got to play him. Right. Hey, Paul, last question for you too, John, and I'll I'll take the comment off the air. Considering he was – Pretty good at Penn State when pass protection when he was, when he was mm-hmm. called to do it. What, what's your feeling? And uh, are you guys impressed with his pass protection, or is he kind of like where you thought he'd be as as a rookie? Uh, and thanks I, again, guys. I Have appreciate a great it, week, Chris. Uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, and, yeah. Thank you, man. And I think Paul and I touched on this earlier. I think the mental part of the pass protection thing has yeah. kind of been right on, but it's the physically making the blocks where he's missed. I think two or three over the course of the year. I mean, look, getting yourself in the right position—that's the toughest part—is ninety percent of it. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think we not only have seen it, John, but we've also heard everybody talk about how mentally astute he is. And he's very, very sharp in terms of picking up what's going on. For example, he was here on Monday. The whole team was off on Monday this week. I saw Saquon Barkley here. He's a diligent kid. Yeah. So that that's not that's not lacking at all. But there are going to be things that, that he sees and then has to say, okay, now, how do I, I bless you, I Thank see you. this, I recognize it. Now, what is it that I need to do to make the play successful? And that's only going to come with experience because there are things that will succeed at the college level that will not succeed at the pro level when these guys are bigger, stronger, faster, making more money, and quite frankly, know a lot of tricks that you you didn't see when you were playing Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State. They're great programs, but but they don't have 10 years under their belt. Right. And uh, You know what I'm saying? Paul, good stuff, my friend. Okay, John. Excellent program. We'll see you on Monday, folks. Feagles and Lance will get you ready for Giants and Falcons. Monday night football. You're going to listen on the radio. Myself, Dottino, Lance, and Jeff will be with you on WFAN starting at 645. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. Enjoy your weekend of football, everybody, and we'll see you on Monday on Giants.com. It was all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Paul's doing exercises over there, <laughs> and we'll see you Monday. Adios. Bye.